The following audio is from the Grove Church Snohomish campus. For more information about our church or to listen to previous sermons, check out our website at grove.church. Well, good morning. Welcome to the Grove. If I haven't had the privilege of meeting you before, which is many of you, because this is my first time being here at the Snohomish campus, my name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors on staff at our Marysville campus. And if you're joining us for the first time, two things I want to say. The first one is this, welcome. We're so glad that you're here, so glad that you found uh, the Grove. And the second one is this, uh, the Grove is one church with two locations. Uh, and as I just mentioned, we have a campus in Marysville, and we have a campus here in Snohomish. Of course, you know that because you're here this morning. Uh, but I am stoked to be here. Somebody uh, saw me in the lobby, uh, somebody that I know, uh, who I pray for his soul as I leave today. But as I came in, he said, man, Andrew must be uh, scraping the bottom of the barrel if you're the one that's here with us today. So I'll let you be the judge of that uh, by the end of the day. But no, I am stoked uh, to be here. And uh, I just want to say this. This is really surreal for me. Um, this is surreal because it was not just over five years ago. Um, I was with a different church at the time. I was a worship pastor. And uh, I stood in a room that looked exactly like this because it was the PAC, the Performing Arts Center, across the valley at Glacier Peak High School as we planted our first campus. Uh, and my wife and I were a part of it. We were talking uh, just today as we were taking a tour. It's like transporting us back five years because it looks exactly the same as this. And we remember the setup and the teardown and all of that. I want to say this. Um, and, and I don't mean just today, I do mean today, but I, I mean something more than that. Is there something special going on here? And, and just experiencing being here for only about an hour so far this morning and, and just about 20 minutes or so together with you in worship. And God is doing something powerful. There's something special that is happening here. And uh, I'm so grateful that you are a part of this. And so uh, looking forward to what God has for us in 2019. I'm going to jump right in today. If you have your Bibles with you, I want you to pull those out. We always encourage you to bring your Bibles with you. Uh, or if you don't have your Bible, you can open up, uh, take out your smartphone, open up that Bible app, and you can follow along uh, with us today. Uh, we're going to be in a couple different places. The first one uh, is Ephesians, starting in chapter 4, verse 11. So that's Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 11. And uh, as you're turning there, I just want to simply say, I feel like we need to clean, just clear the air a little bit as we get started this morning. Um, I think we need to address the elephant in the room, which simply, um, again, Kyle kind of mentioned it, but it's the Seahawks lost yesterday, okay? Now, here's the thing. I don't know if you're like me, but uh, I would consider myself a pretty big fan. And I don't know if all of us love sports or, or, or follow that, but man, I felt like I got kicked in the gut yesterday at about whenever that game got over, right? I mean, it's just something... That, and, and I think the Seahawks, have, I'm sure every team has this to a certain extent with their fans, but they even call us the 12s, right? And, and, and if you don't know what that means, if you've ever been confused about what the 12s mean, is that at any given time on a football field, there's 11 people either on offense or on defense. And being a 12 means we're kind of like the 12th player on the team. Certainly we know that the home field advantage for the Seahawks is, is one of the greatest ones in the NFL. That's because when you're there, physically there, you can yell and scream. You can be a part of the environment and affect the game a little bit. Um, a lot of false starts is one of the toughest places to go into. But if you're like me or a super fan, you forget that you're not actually there. And so you yell at your TV as if Pete can hear you, as if Russ can hear you. There's a guy coming behind you, run away, right? We, we, we kind of get into it, but, but being a, a fan like that is, man, we, we feel like we're a part of the team, almost. That's kind of the MO that we have as the 12s. It also hits home for me a little bit because I know not everybody knows my story. I've shared with uh, this uh, at our Marysville campus a few times, but man, my past and my history, sports was a huge part of my life. Uh, it's, it's where I uh, learned a lot of things about leadership, a lot of things about being a part of a team uh, and giving. I also learned a lot of hard 
lessons about humiliation when you make mistakes in front of large crowds of people. And so I don't know if maybe that's part of that for me as well. But I, man, I, I, I'm on a high when the Seahawks win and, and I'm on a low uh, when they lose. And then about 10, 15, 20 minutes after they lost yesterday, I, I almost like perspective and reality hits back. And you're like, it's just a game. Right? And I literally texted our lead pastor, Nick uh, Bongard, uh, lead pastor of the Grove Church, and I said, man, isn't it great that the Seahawks aren't the saving hope of the world? Right? <laughs> because if they were, man, we're, just, we're done. Let's pack it in. But, but, but it reminds about perspective a little bit. Uh, and, and, and so I believe that there's a message today for us, and this exact same message is being preached at all of our services at our Marysville campus today as well, because we believe that God has something really powerful for us in 2019. And in the same way, in the idea that the Seahawks work together as a team, each person plays a different part to make that team win, right? It takes 11 people on offense and 11 people on defense to make that win. And they have one mission and one goal. What's the goal of the Seahawks? To win the Super Bowl, right? It's, it's pretty simple. Simple and ideal, uh, a lot harder to reach and actually accomplish. But that's their goal. And each member works together to see that mission accomplished. And the reality is, is that the, the team dynamic is not solely uh, packed into only sports. Maybe sports isn't your thing, and that's okay. Maybe sports is, and athletics was not your thing. The team dynamic actually transcends, doesn't it, just sports. Right? Maybe, maybe you're the team dynamic in your workplace. Right? You're a group of people with different gifts and different roles working towards a mission. Maybe that mission is to sell something. Maybe that mission is to save people's lives. Maybe that, uh, you know, maybe that mission is uh, uh, to train up the next generation of leaders if you're teachers. Maybe uh, there's a lot of different things, but being a part of a team dynamic, I think why we hurt so much when the Seahawks lose, if we love them a lot, is because we love the idea, I believe deep down in all of us, we want to be a part of a team. We want to contribute something that's going to accomplish something maybe even bigger than ourselves. And so maybe that's the workplace for you. Or maybe it's, a, maybe it's not the workplace. Maybe it's in the schools. You know, or, or maybe it's a group that you're a part of. Right? Maybe, maybe, it's a, maybe, maybe you're part of the PTA. Right? And, and you get together as parents and you're trying to, to, to find and craft curriculum and different things to ensure that the next generation of leaders has good materials and all of those things that go with it. I believe that all of us deep down want to be a part of a team. And I remember growing up, I always heard uh, the phrase, there's no I in team. Anybody ever heard that before? I mean, I think we pretty much all, there's no I in team. And yet when we watch professional sports, we, there's, there's several players, especially, I mean, it could be football, basketball, or baseball, where it's all about them. Right? This is my team. Now, we, you got, we wouldn't get anywhere if it wasn't for me. And yet the reality is, when I think back to my high school career, I was captain and quarterback of the high school football team my junior and senior year. And I played a lot. And the things I remember are, I couldn't even tell you the scores of the games. I couldn't even probably tell you about how many touchdowns I threw or what records I still hold. What I remember is the camaraderie of being on a team. I miss the people. I miss the idea and, 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 and of going into battle together, having a, a competition together, doing something together. We win together and we lose together. And I think, again, all of us deep down want to be a part of a team. And the reality is this. I ask this question to start us out today. How often do you and I consider things like reading our Bible every day? How often do we consider getting connected in a life group or making relationships with those that sit across from us or in front of us or behind us even this morning? 
How often do you, uh, you and I consider to start giving some of our income to support the church and the mission that the church has? How often do you and I consider stepping up to serve and be a part and help out? How many times do we think about this and yet not take a step? Not take a step. Because here's the thing. I may have been captain and quarterback of the football team my junior and senior year, but it wasn't always that way. I wasn't always a starter. I remember many years of sitting on the bench waiting for my number to get called so that I could go into the game, right? If you're in sports, you don't sign up to sit on the bench. You sign up because you want to get in the game. But I remember that uh, when I first started, I spent many times on the bench waiting to get in. And here's the clarity for today, and I want you to hear this, not just with your ears. I want us to hear this with our hearts and our spirit. Sports is a team sport, right? It takes a team of people, right? Our workplace is a place where the team dynamic takes place and is available for us to, to, to give what we have towards a common goal or a mission to accomplish. The groups that we're a part of, PTAs and other things. But did you know there's another thing? It's called the church. That is a team that takes all of us for we to win, right? It's an opportunity for us to step off of the bench and get into the game. And this morning, we want to share the tension that if we're going to use football terms as an analogy today, if sports isn't your thing, I apologize. I'm going to stick with that, come out of the Seahawks thing yesterday. But God has a playbook that he put together in his scripture of how the church was meant to operate. Because the real truth is that many of us, even in this room right now, and in churches across the United States and even the world, we're sitting on the spiritual bench. We come and we play the part of the Christian follower and the Christ follower, but we're not in the game. And even better yet, the real truth is that many of us are still just in the grandstands watching. We're not even on the bench. And so I want to encourage us, and I want to show you this, that God laid out this design for the church and how it's to operate. I had you turn there. It's Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 11. I want to read this, and you can follow along with me. This is the Apostle Paul. And he is uh, writing a letter to the church at Ephesus. This is a church that he planted, just like this church was planted. He's the overseer of that church, and he's encouraging them in this way. And he says this. He says, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people. I'm going to pause for a second. If you've got your Bible with you or that app open, I want you to underline or highlight his people. Right? He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him the whole body joined together and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does it's work. Let's pray as we dive into today. Father, we thank you. God, we thank you that you love us. God, we thank you that in the midst of our chaos, in the midst of our past, in the midst of our mistakes, in the midst of our sin, you sent your son Jesus to pay a price for us so that we could be set free. That debt that we owed because of sin, 
the blameless one, your son, came, lived a perfect life so that we could have eternal life in relationship with you. And we simply pray this today, every one of us. God, we simply give you permission to come and speak to our hearts. God, that you come and move on us. God, we give you permission. God, to, to open up our eyes to see things that maybe we haven't seen before, that maybe we've been mistaken in our ideals or our thoughts. That God, for whatever reason, God, we give you permission to come. We want to leave today different than when we came in. God, we want to be changed by you. And every moment in your presence has that opportunity. So God, that we pray that you would speak to us, change us today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Oh, that was weak. Everybody said, amen. amen. There you go. Come on, church. All right. So here's the deal. The Apostle Paul is illuminating for a church that has been planted in Ephesus. Hey, guys, wake up. This is the way that God has designed the church to work. Now, for many of us, we need to look at context really, really quickly. I just want to give this to you. For generation after generation and thousands of years, many that would hear this would be of Jewish origin. And in the Jewish origin, for many, many years until Jesus came and changed the script, right? Israelites, the Jews, were God's chosen people. That belief was theirs and theirs alone. Every other nation had different beliefs. But that had changed through Jesus Christ. And it had changed through the mobilization of the New Testament church with the disciples and Paul being one of those. And what he's saying is, hey, you used to come to the church. You used to, or better said, you used to come to the temple. Right? This is what you would do. And you would worship God with your sacrifices to atone for your sin because Jesus hadn't died yet. And you used to come bring your offerings. And it was all about you. You would come to get yourself clean and do what you needed to do. But now Jesus has died for you. You no longer need to make sacrifices to atone for your sin. It's already been done. The ultimate sacrifice has been made. And now there is a mobilization and a movement called the Christian church that is happening. And they were learning something new. No longer is it inward focused on you coming to the temple to get yourself right. All it was to get right was to be able to ask for forgiveness, repent of your sins because Jesus had paid the price and turned the other way. But now church had become outward focused. Yes, you come to the meeting. Yes, you come to the place and gather to be empowered and built up. But God has mobilized the church to then go out and spread that message as far and wide as possible. Do you see the difference between coming to get right inward focused about me and now the church had a totally different outlook which was outward focused go out and share what you have with others because it's available to everybody. And Paul, the apostle, is saying, I've given you leadership. So the first step that we see in how God organized his church is we see the leadership, right? And he talks about the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Some have called this the fivefold ministry of the church. It's a type of leadership system. Right? The apostles were the overseers. The prophets were the proclaimers. The evangelists were the good news sharers. The pastors are the shepherds and the teachers are the equippers and the empowerers. He's saying these are different gifts given to different people for the purpose of leadership. And you might ask, well, why, why leadership? Well, I mean, why does there need to be leadership in the church? Well, first off, obviously, practically leadership is needed, right? You need somebody, a group of people that can help lead the way. Let me, let me give you an example. You ever been in a group of friends? Uh, and, and I don't mean this, uh, uh, in a, in a, I'm not trying to uh, make this in a negative way, but I've been in a group of friends who maybe they're not real strong leaders, and then it's like time to decide where to go eat. Have you ever been in that place before? Or maybe you got a group of four or five friends, and then it's like, hey, are you guys hungry? Yeah, I'm hungry. Where do you want to go? I don't know. Where do you want to go? Oh, man, I'm kind of open to anything. I mean, what, is there anything you don't like? No, not really. Not really. I, mean, I mean, what do you feel like? Man, well, I can do burgers. I can do chicken. 
Chinese. I think it's, yeah, man, that's right. It's like, if there's a leader in the group, you're like, come on, make a decision already. Right? Leaders are placed there for a purpose and a role. And then the Apostle Paul uses this beautiful imagery. Beautiful imagery that helps you and I understand how the church was set up to function. Like the Seahawks are a team that each have individuals that play a role to accomplish a mission. The church was set up very similarly that there are different roles of leadership. And then he uses this imagery of the body of Christ. Did you hear him say that as we read that? The body of Christ. I want to go on to another letter that Paul wrote where he goes deeper into this um, idea of the body and explains it. It's a, a letter that he wrote to the church of Corinth, to the Corinthian church. If you want to turn there, you can. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 4. The words will be um, on the screen. But Paul all of a sudden begins to leak this idea of the body of Christ to explain that they would understand how the mission get accomplished. And he goes into it like this. I want to read this, starting in verse 4. Apostle Paul says, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works um, all of them in all men. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All of these are the work of the one and the same Spirit. And He gives them to each one just as He determines. The body is a unit. This is where He goes into the explanation of the body. We need to catch this. The body is a unit, though it's made up of many different parts. And though all of its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free. And we were all given that one spirit to drink. Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, cease to be a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, cease to be a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unrepresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it. So that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have an equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. 
And in the church, God has appointed first the apostles, second the prophets, third teachers, then workers of miracles, all those, also those having gifts of healing, those able to help others, those with gifts of administration, those speaking in different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? But eagerly desire the greater gifts. And here the apostle Paul goes a step deeper and says, the body of Christ as a team was meant to function with all of the parts, just like the body functions with all of its parts. Yes, there's leadership, and we listed those, and we talked about them. But then you've got this long passage of Scripture that says there's all kinds of gifts, one spirit, and he gives those gifts to his people to do the works of the ministry. Who are his people? Say it again. Who is it? It's, it's you. It's me. It's all of us. The reality is... That we have a desire to be a part of a team deep within us, which is why we love sports, which is why we love to watch other things, which is why we have this desire to be a part. Because God has gifted within us our DNA, something to help that makes the mission of the church move forward. And Paul does an incredible job explaining this. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Can I also tell you that the opposite of that statement is true? Let me read it again. From him the whole body, joined together and held together by every supporting ligament and part, grows and builds itself up in love as what? Each part does its work. The opposite is, is if each part doesn't do its work, we don't win. We don't succeed. Every part must be functional. Let me stop for a moment and go back to football. Imagine that individual that doesn't believe and there's no I in team. Man, this is my team. Man, we wouldn't make it to the playoffs without me. I'm the best player. I'm this. I'm that. In the football analogy, if we have the idea of that one individual lining up across 11 different players, whether it's offense or defense, not only is it improbable, it would be impossible for that individual to win, isn't it? When the parts of the body are not functioning, let me say it in a better way. The gift that God has put in you I want you to hear this. The gift that God has put in you, the church cannot succeed without it. It cannot succeed without it. And, and the American church especially has done a terrible job because if any of us watch any of those clips that come up on Facebook, and I'm not knocking big churches, that's not what I'm simply saying, but a lot of people are under the interpretation that I just come and sit in the stands and they put on a show for me. We've gotten it wrong. We need to be a part of the team and using our gift because that's the way that God created us. Together we win, apart we lose. Together we win, apart we lose. I need you. Andrew needs you. This church needs the gift that you have. Here's the crazy part. This is what I absolutely 100% believe. And I don't just believe it for our church. I believe it for any church who loves Jesus and has the desire to see and reach as many people as possible. I pray that 2019 is amazing, but I believe it for our church. We're going to see great things accomplished through the Grove this year. We're going to see people come to faith in Christ and give their lives, turning away from sin and realizing that there is a hope that transcends whatever they've been in, whatever they've seen, and whatever they've done. We're going to see people take a step in baptism. We're going to see children dedicated to the Lord. We're going to see people mobilized as the body of Christ, both home and abroad, serving our world, missions work overseas, new friendships here that can stand and support one another through everyday life. 
a better understanding of God's Word and the Holy Spirit. And here's another thing that we believe that God is going to do through the Grove in 2019 is to plant our third campus this fall. Now, that's a maybe, but we believe it. And you might ask the question, why? Well, why do you want to do that? Why a third campus? Because we actually believe in the call and the mission of the church. We actually believe in what we're doing. You guys are an incredible manifestation of the belief of taking the word as far and wide as we can and making a difference in our world here in Snohomish County. In the same way that the mission of the Seahawks is to win a Super Bowl, the mission of the church is to spread the good news of Jesus as far and wide as possible. But it will only happen when you and I catch the vision. This understanding of God's playbook and how he designed it. And you and I actually taking steps to get in the game. At the Grove, we use language like it takes all of us for we to win. We say things like all hands on deck. Right? We use terminology like we're not a cruise ship, we're a battleship. Stop for a moment and think about that. Now, I'm not knocking cruises. I love cruises, okay? I've been on a couple of them. My in-laws are here today. They've taken my family on a couple. I love cruises. It may not be your thing, but I love it, okay? I'm not knocking the fact that there's time for you and I to find margin in our lives to relax and get away. But used in the imagery of how the church should operate, imagine a church operating like a cruise ship. What happens on a cruise ship? A cruise ship. Lots of leisure. Way too much eating. Okay? It's all about us. I'm on vacation. This is about me and the events I want to do. Nope, I don't want to get up early. Nope, I'm not going to go to the 8 o'clock dinner time. I'm going to go eat at the buffet today because I get to do what I want. The, a cruise ship is very inward focused. A battleship is very different, isn't it? The church is a battleship. But we don't like the term war. But the truth is there is a battle, a war going on in the spiritual realms. It's happening. We don't always see it with our eyes, but it is happening. But when we're a battleship, it goes from being inward focused and let me relax and, well, I don't like that kind of music and, well, man, you guys should start at this time of day where I can't, but, you know, your messages should be shorter and, well, where are the cookies and where's the coffee and where's the stuff? Inward focus and all of a sudden it comes down to this next line that we use as a church. It becomes outward focused and we say things like this. It's part of our, co our code, our core values. We say we give up things we love for things we love even more. The church does not exist for us. When somebody thinks the thought the church exists for me, cruise ship mentality, inward focused, the church becomes an organization. The building, the, the, the pastors, the staff, right? They exist for me. You need to feed me. You need to do this for me. You need to minister to me when I'm in the hospital. And the truth is, those things will happen. That, that, that is part of being a family in the body. Those things will happen. But it's an ideal paradigm shift that goes from the church isn't an organization. Let me read it again. We give up things we love for things we love even more. The church does not exist for us. We are the church. The church is you and I. It's not a building. It's not an organization. It's us. We are the church and we exist for the world. And we say things like we will lead the way with irrational Generosity. It goes from an inward-focused cruise ship to an outward-focused battleship. In essence, many of us, I'll repeat it, are sitting on the quote-unquote spiritual bench. We're not in the game yet. Some of us, to be honest with you, haven't even made it to the bench yet. We're just in the grandstands observing. And the church is not a spectator sport. You were meant and designed to be a part of it with a gift that I don't have. Let, let me do it this way. I want to use a graphic. Some of you are visual people. 
Alright? May you probably remember the Uncle Sam posters that I want you, okay? I want you. We need you. Maybe Uncle Sam doesn't do it for you, okay? It's kind of old school. Let me give you another graphic. Maybe you need to see Andrew's face, okay? And Pastor Andrew needs you to get in the game. Alright? He needs to get in the he needs your help. And here's the reality, and it's still kind of funny, but here's the real truth. Jesus is the one saying, I'm the coach. I have gifted you. Some of you in this room right now think, man, what, what can I do to help? I, I don't have anything that I can give. I, you are gifted uniquely and on purpose for a purpose. And you might not even know that. You might have no idea yet. But if you take a step, it's where it all starts. The journey starts for everyone once you take a step. You take a step to get involved. You take a step and a chance. Okay, God, it's, it, it's not just the pastor's job anymore. It's not just, I, I'm supposed to do this. Okay, what is it? I'm willing. Usually that's all it takes is I'm willing. It's a hard thing to say. I'm willing. Every part working together. No one part can accomplish the mission by itself. But it requires a step, like I said. I want to give you a couple steps because I want to make it easy. We always talk about trying to make things as e easy as obvious and strategic as we can when we communicate anything. Here's some steps that you and I can take towards this journey of discovering what it is that God has placed in us. Serving is a step. I remember what it was like to be a mobile church. I remember setting up. Do you know that there are individuals who show up here at 7 a.m. every Sunday morning just to make this happen? Service doesn't even start till 10. There's unloading and set up, and then there's teardown afterwards. People greeting at the doors. Crystal and her incredible team loving on children, training them, not just babysitting them, but, but training them up in the way they should go, teaching them about Jesus. Serving is a step that you and I can take. Here's another one. Getting connected to the life group. I hear that they're launching for the first time next week, I believe, here at Snohomish. I want to encourage you. Take a step. Life groups are a step. I know it's scary. I know the thought is, man, I'm going to go into a home and a small group of people that I don't know. Awkward, right? The small talk. Here's the reality. What happens when you and I, for families, and maybe we haven't done this, but we've certainly heard stories where a family has to move from one place to the other and they have children. And those children now need to go to a new school. And those new children say, I don't want to go to the new school. I don't know anybody. I'm nervous and I'm scared. And what do we say as parents? Just take a step and do it. I mean, you're going to make new friends. You're going to be fine. Come on. And we push the little birdies out of the nest. But when it comes to a life group, us as adults aren't willing to prescribe the same medication for ourselves. Life groups are incredible. Yeah, it's a little nervous. Yeah, you don't know what you're going to get. I'm telling you right now, I've seen amazing fruit come out of life groups. Amazing fruit. There are life groups that I know of where they're best friends. They go on vacations together, cruises together, Hawaii together, California together. There are those that, that rally together to do barbecues. Even when life groups aren't in session, they're meeting together, going to their kids' productions together, and sporting events together. And maybe, just maybe, you go to a group and the first one you try out isn't a fit. That's okay. Try another one. Pastor Nick, early pastor, I love this kind of analogy that he uses. Like, has anybody ever gone and ever had a bad haircut before? Anybody ever? Come on, you guys can interview. I'm actually asking you to raise your hand. Anybody have a bad haircut? Did you stop getting haircuts and never get a haircut again because of that? Of course not. You find a different barber, right? You go to a different hairstylist. Maybe you join a life group that's not the right fit. That's okay. Find another one. Something incredible happens when you open up the shell, the shield, the barrier, the walls that we keep to protect ourselves and open ourselves up. It's risky, but the payoff is incredible. Here's another step that you can take. You can take a step in giving. 
There's something, you could go read the scriptures, Old Testament and New, about what happens when we're generous with the money that we have. And I know it's a hot button topic. Churches don't like to talk about it because it's been abused. And there's all these other reasons that keep us from doing it. But here's the reality. How many of us, when we see something on TV, like a natural disaster, are willing to give to the Red Cross? We're willing to give to this need. Oh, there's kids in need over here in this place. Well, they need water in a well, you know, in Africa. And we're totally willing to support that. But the church is doing missional work every single day of every single week, of every single month, of every single year. It has for thousands of years. There is no greater thing to be a part of and support. And it's a step that we can take. Here's, here's another one. Last one I'll give you. There's lots of things we can do. It's reading your Bible. Right? We just started the Bible reading plan. We do this every single year. It starts in January. You can pick it up. You can follow it on version. There's actually copies of it at the guest table in the lobby that you can pick up and follow through. The, the truth is this. If statistics are true, the Bible, the thing that is the greatest resource that you and I have as Christians to live our life, to seek counsel, and to seek wisdom, the greatest thing is we don't even open this up. Statistics say that less than 20% of Christians, not people, Christians read their Bible. And that's just read it once in a while. Even way fewer than that is a percentage that actually spends regular time in Scripture. It's a step you and I can take to get in the game, get off the bench, get out of the stands, and get in the game. And we look at it like, oh, yeah, Ryan, the Bible reading plan. That's like four chapters a day. Four chapters a day? How could I ever do that? We're talking 10 minutes. It's perspective, 15 minutes. You know what I do? I do when I'm driving down the road. The version app, I have them read it to me. It's audio out loud. I listen to one of in the shower, ask my wife, gets a little awkward to say, hey, you do what you gotta do to make it happen. But these are steps that you and I can take. And here's the last thing, I wanna end with a few different things. Because now we understand through the Apostle Paul's words to the churches that he planted, the design that God had created and put the church together to operate, to reach the mission, to accomplish the mission. But what I understand is this, for you and I to come out of the stands, for you and I to come off the bench, there's some roadblocks, right? There's some hurdles that keep us from taking a step. I remember uh, speaking a message like this a few years ago and I had somebody come up to me and say, Ryan, I just, here's a hurdle. I just didn't even know. I didn't even know that, 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 that I could. I didn't even know that it was needed. I mean, I always just come in on a Sunday morning and there's plenty of people greeting me and there's plenty of people working in the kids and everything's set up. I just didn't even know there was a need. It just seemed like everything was covered. Can I tell you, especially here in Grove Snohomish, there is a need. There are opportunities all over the place for you to come and for you to help. We want you to step up and come off the bench and get in the game. Another roadblock or a hurdle I heard somebody say one time, I just thought it was the pastor's job. I mean, I just thought it was the pastor's and the staff job to do that. But now, man, I, I, I hear this uh, design that God made, and all of a sudden I'm feeling something in me just going, yeah. I, and if there's something in me that I don't want to waste that, I want to get involved. But sometimes that can be a hurdle for us. But remember what Ephesians 4.12 said. He said it's the leader's job to equip the people, his people, God's people, you, to do the work of the ministry. Leadership, if it's only left up to them, will never accomplish it on our own. Here's another roadblock and a hurdle. Some of us feel unqualified. Some of us feel like, man, I, I can't play an instrument like Kyle does. I can't sing like Emily. I can't run the sound 
like Tony, I can't do lights like Ryan. I, 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 I'm not really great with kids like Crystal. I mean, I, just, I feel unqualified. I don't, I don't feel like I have anything to give. Paul listed some of those in Corinthians. Some of you have a gift of administration. You see a problem and all of a sudden the mind just says, this is how you should put this together to maximize the time and return and return on investment. Some of you are gifted financially. Somewhere along the line, you're involved in finances and how to make money work for you and how to, to set up things to, to get a return and, and, and how to do the books and all these kinds of things. You've got a gift. Somebody in here, you're able to work with your hands. You can build almost anything. There's a place for you. We talk about little things like set designs and stuff like that will happen. But what about missions work? What about the times that I've seen our church and many other churches do incredible things for local people, families in the church? I'll give you just one example. A few years back on iHeart, which is a summer outreach that we do locally every single year, we simply had a team that went out and poured a, a cement ramp to his front door because he was disabled and in a wheelchair and all he had was stairs to get in one way or the other. There are simple ways that God can use the gift that you have. Let me give you another one. You might feel unqualified and say, man, I can't speak, I can't do. Somebody in here, you're a great host or you're a great hostess. You love to have people over to your house. You love the holidays. You love to bring people in, your family and others and friends. And everything looks perfect. And you love making sure the meal is there. You love making sure brand new people that came in feel comfortable. You've got a gift. And I'm not just saying this because my mother-in-law is here, but she has that gift. I'm telling you, every time, whether it's a big function with multiple people or just our family, everything is decorated perfect. Now, she's got a lot of other great gifts, but one of her gifts is she's a great, she works, she, she, she cooks the meals, all to make sure that everybody has a good time together and the atmosphere is set. If you've got that kind of a gift, you would make a perfect host home for life groups. And I could go on and on and on about the type of gifts, but if you feel unqualified, let me tell you, you're qualified because Jesus has placed something in you. Let it out. There's another hurdle or roadblock. Some of us don't only feel unqualified, we feel disqualified. We feel disqualified that God could ever use us. Right? If you only knew what I've done, if you only knew what I've seen, God could never use me. If, you, if, if I told you what I was doing last night, you wouldn't offer that to me. Let me give you an example. Some of the greatest characters in Scripture, the greats that we read about, that we see as so godly and, and did incredible miracles and things, felt exactly the same way as you do if you feel disqualified. Let me give you two. I could do a bunch. I'll give you two. Moses. Moses killed somebody in Egypt and fled. He murdered somebody and fled. And he became a shepherd out in the desert. And God came to him in a burning bush and said, Moses, I've called you to go back to Pharaoh, back to Egypt, the greatest land, uh, country in, in all the world at that time, the greatest leader with all the power. I want you to go to Pharaoh, and he's going to set the captives, my people, the Israelites, who have been in slavery for hundreds and hundreds of years. I'm going to use you to set them free. And you know what Moses said? The same thing that some of us say. I'm disqualified. Do you know who you're talking to? I, I killed somebody. Many theologians believe that Moses had a stutter. He couldn't even talk very well. You want to use me? Let me give you another one. The very words of the individual that we read today in two different letters, the Apostle Paul. Before he became Paul, his name was Saul, and he was a Christian killer. When the new movement, Jesus movement, was happening, he was standing there holding 
even to death. He was a Christian killer. If anybody should have been disqualified, it was him. And if you believe that you are disqualified because of your past, because of your history, because of something you've done, it's a lie from the pit of hell. There is nothing that can separate you from the love of God. If he can use them, he can use you. You are not disqualified. All it takes is this. And this is what we're talking about, the mission of the church. is for you to understand it's a simple repentance. Turning to God, asking for forgiveness, and turning the other way, and turning towards him. That's all it is. And if you do that, if you take that step, God will accomplish the same things that he accomplished through Moses and David and the Apostle Paul if you'll just be willing to do it. And here's the last one that will be done. Some of us, and it's probably the majority of us, one of the things that keeps us from getting out of the stands, from coming off the bench and getting into the game is our lives are just too busy. It seems like every second of every minute of every hour of every day is spoken for. We get up in the morning, we get ready for work, we've got kids, we get them ready for school, we drop them off, we go to work, we work all day, we drive home in traffic, we get home, and then we've got all the extracurricular activities, we've got kids, and you're running three different kids in three different spots, and you pick this one up, and by the time you get home, it's dinner and homework, and then you got to clean up the house and do the stuff, and go to bed and get up and do it all over again. Don't let too busy be an excuse for you not to get in the game. You and I have control over our schedules. We have the ability to say yes and no to things, to create margin in our lives, to say, you know what? Yes, I work a job because I need to pay for a house, provide for my family. Yes, I've got to do these things. Yes, I have responsibilities. But the bigger yes is that God has placed something in me for a purpose. And I need to find a way to use it, to take a step. Each person is given something to do that shows who God is is what could God do through you as you live obediently to his call you are a part of the body and we cannot cannot succeed without you I want to challenge you as a pastor who loves you I may not know all of you but that doesn't mean that I don't love you you have a purpose you have a destiny you have a call we need you on the team maybe that step is to start serving maybe that step is to get into a life group Maybe that step is, maybe the first one is just, hey, maybe, maybe you're a visitor here. It's the first time you've been in church in a really long time. Maybe your first step is just to continue to come to church for a little bit and get in a rhythm of doing that. Whatever it is for you, pray and say, God, what's the step for me? I want to challenge you. You know what's scary? Even though you might not know what's on the other side of it, I promise you, this is how you and I were designed. This is how the church wins. This is how life change happens. But we need you. Amen? Let me, let me pray for you. God, I thank you. God, I thank you for moments like these that awaken us, that remind us, that brings perspective to us, where we can get so caught up in just the day-to-day -day life, and every one of us are in that boat. But for those that maybe for the very first time, or maybe it's been a really long time since the first time they've heard it, or the last time they've heard it, is that God, that they have a purpose and a calling in you that they have a gift that was meant for the church. And God, whatever the roadblocks are in our lives that hold us back, that deter us, that scare us, God, would you give us a courage and a boldness just to take a step, just to trust you with the question and the hope 
of what if, what could happen? God, what could you do for me if I was just willing to get out of the stands, to get off the bench, and to get into the game? God, we pray for an incredible 2019. God, I pray for anybody who's willing to take one of those steps that we listed today. God, that you move on their heart even as service ends to stop by the guest table on the way out. There's cards for serving that you can sign up for. Or maybe as the offering baskets come by, giving is being that step for somebody today. Or even if it's life groups to go by that same guest table, find out more information on where they are, what night, what, what nights they meet on, and, and, and just to find out more about it. God, that we would take steps towards you. God, even reading your word which is accessible to us every day, and yet most of us miss it because we're too busy and we're intimidated. God, would you help us take steps? We trust you to do it. We're willing to take a step of faith in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Snohomish Sermon Podcast. If you want to keep up with us, like us on Facebook, Instagram, or visit our website at grove.church.